Hi church, it's week number five in our series entitled Made for This. And today we're gonna be wrapping up our series. Man, it's been a great time together as we've walked through understanding suffering. And I'm just so thankful for God's timing because right as we're ending this series, we're also coming out of phase one of our BC pandemic response. And now things are changing for us. And I just thank God for using uh, this season and this particular book in our Bibles to to help guide us through this most difficult time. And now there's a new optimism that's growing in many of our hearts as we consider uh, new options and and, um, and and getting a haircut for some of us. Ha, some of us have really needed that, you know. Um, and there's other retail opportunities and of course, some of the things happening with our medical system that are really, really positive. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for you. And I wanna thank you for tuning in today and being a part of this final message in the series. Um, I'm gonna be talking about a number of things and then I'm gonna save some of the content from chapter five for the deep dive. So please look for that this week on our social media platforms and in your small groups because that's going to be a whole nother piece that we're gonna skip here. So I wanna take you toward the end of chapter five. I wanna take you to a key verse for us today. It's Peter sharing why he wrote what he wrote. And here's what it says. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. You know, and I would say the same thing. My purpose in preaching this is to encourage you and assure you. I want you to have assurance and I want you to have encouragement today that what you're experiencing is part of God's grace for your life. Now, some of us feel like, man, no thank you, I'll take a little less grace if this is what it means. But really what it is, is God is God is doing something that cannot be done in another fashion. It has to be done this way. You can only experience God's grace in this measure, in this way, in this kind of a circumstance. So it is part of God's grace for you. I wanna now take you back up to verse 10. We just read verse 12. Verse 10 becomes a very, very key verse. In fact, it may be the key verse for the whole book, at least the key verse for us today. It says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Man, maybe the most important verse in this whole book, because what it is, is Peter is actually giving you five truths about suffering here that are really going to transform the way you view the next time that you face suffering. It's to encourage you and to bring you assurance. That's what this is all about. So let me give you the five as I see it here in this particular passage. The first one I want to give you is this. Suffering has a shelf life. In other words, suffering doesn't last forever. Can someone say amen to that? Can someone say praise God to that? As we move from phase one to phase two, you got to say it felt like a long time, but here we are moving on and we're believing for better days and uh, for businesses to get opened and life to return to a new normal, as they're saying. And, And you know what? It has a shelf life. But, you know, I read a great book by a guy named Samuel Chand, and it was called um, Leadership Pain. And in his book, Leadership Pain, he says that pain is an excellent substitute teacher. In other words, you know, when you have a substitute, maybe you don't pay attention, maybe you goof off. But the truth is that substitute is there just for a short while. 
They're not the actual teacher, they're the substitute. And the same is true with pain and suffering. It's a great substitute teacher. You learn a lot, but we don't want to live there forever. And so I'm so glad to tell you, as Peter says it here, that your suffering will last a little while. And then after that, something else is going to happen. So now we get on to the truth two through five as Peter begins to outline it for us here. And the next thing I'll share with you is that God promises restoration, doesn't he? After you suffer a little while, then God's going to come along and he will restore you. You know, the most common use for the Greek word here for restore is that is the idea of setting a bone. Something has been broken or fractured and it's being reset. And you know what? What a cool picture of restoration, healing, bringing, bringing the end of pain, bringing something back to its purpose. And you know, we really love the word restoration. We use it alongside of the word redemption. We, we use it in, in regard to your purpose, that God's always had a design for your life. He's always had a plan for you. And sometimes because of life, because of our choices, because of sin, fallen nature, whatever, we lose sight of that. And God's always had that same plan for us. He always has wanted to to bring you into a redemptive place where you can use what you have for his glory. And you know, one of the things about a broken bone is when it sets, when it heals, I've heard that in that spot where it broke, it's stronger than it was before. And that's really what I believe. I believe that God makes you stronger through your suffering. In fact, it was Sir Edward, Edward Elgar, who was a great British composer, that saw a young girl singing, and she had perfect pitch, she had clarity, she had a purity of voice, she had a beautiful range, and, she, and he said, you know what, she's great. But you know what, she will be really great when something happens to break her heart. In other words, life needs to happen. Suffering needs to come because that's how our character is developed and that's how the gold is brought up. The heat of suffering brings the gold to the surface of our lives. And that's exactly what's being seen here. See, restoration is a combination of mending what is broken and supplying what is missing. And so God's gonna restore you. He's gonna supply what's missing and he's gonna mend what's broken in Jesus' mighty name. The third promise here is that God promises support. This is the third truth that Peter lays down. He's not just going to restore you, but he's also going to support you. This word support here actually means uh, made as hard as granite. To make that solid, uh, granite is an interesting stone because, you know, I had the privilege of going to Egypt and when I was there, I saw the pyramids and I, I saw the Sphinx and right along, you know, when you walk through the sort of the temple area to go where the Sphinx is, which was sort of the gateway into the pyramids, which were actually giant graves, um, there's granite there because it's considered a spiritual place. And they always used granite in the temples. Now, the reason why they did it is because granite was so hard and solid, they could make it so precise, they could cut it so cleanly and so beautifully that it would create an airlock, one block on top of the other. And you can go there now and you can see the limestone deteriorating and all other stuff, but the granite is still there, solid. And, and you know what? You can't move those stones. They are there like permanently. There's no glue or mortar between them. They're just perfect. Make as solid as granite. And that's what God does for you when he walks you through restoration and also brings you into support when he supports you. You see, God is the key to all of this. When God is on your side, you can develop character. 
You see, the thing that I've, that, that I've seen that's very, very clear is one or two things happen to you when you go through hard times. You either develop character or you develop collapse. It's one of the two, character or collapse. And God makes all the difference. God gives you the perspective to see that there's something for me to learn here. And many people who walk through suffering alone never experience the support that they need. They move through that without God's help. And what ends up happening in their lives is they move toward character flaws, not toward character development. And boy, is that ever important. We gotta be careful with this. God promises help. Let's lean into him so we can be made as solid as granite. Now, the fourth of five truths about suffering is this one. God promises strength. And the Greek word here is very simple. It simply means to fill with strength. And it reminds me of muscle development. You know, anytime you work out and, and you wanna get stronger, what are you doing? You're putting your muscles under stress. And when they go under stress, they, they tear, blood flows, they grow, they expand, and they become stronger. Listen, you've gotta be under stress at times in order to experience the strength. You don't know how strong you are until you have to use your strength, until it's tested. So suffering gives us the opportunity to experience the strength of God in our lives. We're not gonna be crushed by suffering. We're gonna be stronger because of this suffering, because of this time. We're gonna be stronger people, stronger Christians. We're gonna have a greater faith, which is really the fifth truth that we learn here from Peter, that God promises greater faith. In fact, he says it this way, he will place you on a firm foundation, which literally is exactly what the Greek means, a firm foundation. And what's a firm foundation? Our faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him. You know, God extends his arm to us, his hand to us, his strong and mighty hand to us, when we're in the sea of suffering, tossed around, and we feel like we're gonna go under, and he reaches down, he says, take my hand. And if we have faith, if we have trust, then we can reach up and we can grab his hand. And the tighter, you know, we hold, he holds. And you know what? When the storm gets worse, he has a greater grip. And so you begin to share this great grip together, and he holds on tight, and you make it through. And the point is, is he provides a firm place for you to stand in suffering. He can be trusted. Why don't you go ahead and say amen right in your house or wherever it is that you're watching. Amen, because this is good truth. Now, none of us want to stay in suffering, and I'm so thankful it has a, a shelf life. But you might be wondering, what is the the quickest path through my suffering. I, we can't rush it, God knows, but there is a way to create a straight line, which we know is the shortest distance between two, two points, a straight line through suffering, where you enter it, you walk right through it to the other side. And I wanna tell you, the greatest mechanism for you to have a straight path through suffering is to choose humility. Humility is the key. In fact, we're gonna back up a little farther now in the chapter. We're gonna go up to verses five and six in chapter five, and we're gonna look at this straight line as Peter begins to explain it to us. He says, and all of you in the second half of verse five, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, there's a contrast here, and that's uh, him quoting from Proverbs, but he says, God will oppose you if you're proud. He'll give you grace if you're humble. Wow, I gotta tell you, I want grace. I don't, I don't want God to oppose me. But at the beginning of this part that I read, it says dress yourselves 
in humility. Dress yourselves in humility. That's so key, and let me tell you why. Because the word here has a double meaning. The Greek phrase that's used here is giving us two pictures. And one is to put on a garment that's like a servant's garment, but to tie it with a knot. You see, I was explaining this to my staff earlier this week. And if you put on an apron like I do sometimes when I cook, I tie it with a bow behind my back because that's where the the strings are. But then also I can just pull one of them and it comes right off. I wouldn't tie it in a knot because then I'm stuck. But this verse suggests that when it comes to humility, put it on and tie it with a knot. In other words, put it on to stay. Don't let it come off. It's not something you're going to take off. You're not going to take off that servant's heart, which really is a picture of something that Peter would have seen. He would have seen Jesus do this exact thing. Jesus, tie the servant's robe on the apron and get down and wash their feet. Man, he, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, he said. And so Peter knew this. And so he knew that the way that they were going to get through this suffering was to see humility as a robe of service that they put on, that they tie on and they do not take it off. But the cool thing about this particular Greek word is that it has a double meaning. So it means that, but it also means a garment of, of preeminence and honor. And so although it, it means to tie with a knot and put it on like a servant, the same Greek phrasing would lead us to this other meaning, which is something of honor and nobility, something that's worn across the, the shoulders to show honor, to show preeminence and status. And I just love that this double meaning is present. Now, as we look at the next verse, I'm going to open up Uh, the picture broader for you. It says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And so the picture is there now. The servant who puts on the apron and ties it with a knot and he wears that robe, but that robe actually becomes a garment of honor in due time. Just like you suffer for a little while, also takes some time for humility to mature in your life and to the re- for the reward to come out. And so I want you to see that unless we really understand both, that we can't really see the full picture of humility. Humility is serving And humility becomes, as we serve, a garment of great honor and preeminence. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So dress yourselves in humility. You know, um, verse 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And um, some versions would say the mighty hand of God. There's this picture of, of humility that leads to honor. And it comes right here in this picture. Humble yourself under the mighty power of God. I want to give you an analogy that I think will really help you see this more clearly. And it's simply this. I want you to think of the mighty power of God as a flame. A flame that can grow when it's applied to your life. And the way that it's applied to your life is through humility. That's what this verse says. And if you have a little bit of humility, well, then you can only hold a little bit of that flame. If you have a lot of humility, then you can hold a great measure of that flame. It's like having either a candle or a bonfire ready to go. And God comes with his mighty power and he lights both. He lights the candle. It's good. It's there. It's present. And many of us live our lives with a little bit of humility like a candle. But then he also comes to light the bonfire, which creates a great flame, great warmth, great light. And the truth is the difference between the two is the amount of fuel that's available. And that's your humility. Now, I want to add another element element to the illustration for you because it fits with our context. I want you to see suffering as like a mighty wind. 
And this mighty wind comes and blows into your life. And if you only have a little bit of humility and you're holding a little candle and that's where the flame is, that represents the power of God in your life. When that wind comes, it's going to blow right out. And you're going to have an extinguishing problem when it comes to the power of God in your life. But if you've got a bonfire that's lit, that's hot, that's burning, and, a, and wind comes, what happens? The fire rages. It grows bigger. It grows brighter. It grows hotter. In fact, that's one of the major problems with forest fires is the wind. Why? Because it can drive the flames and cause them to grow and spread. And that looks like a negative picture, but it's really not if you think about it in context. The power of God in your life is actually fanned into greater flame when you walk through suffering as long as you have enough humility to really experience it well. So for some of you, maybe you've been really struggling with this. And as I wrap up the message, I want you to think about how you've walked through this first part of the crisis. I want to encourage you and I want to also assure you that's what the message is all about. But maybe for some of you, you really struggled. And, and, you, and you really feel like, man, I, I don't know how I've walked through humility. You know, maybe you've found yourself complaining or being cynical or being, you know, uh, judgmental. Or, you know, maybe, maybe there's some elements that you can say, boy, that's not really that's not really a position of humility. That's more of a position of pride. I know God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the truth is, is you can't work on grace. It's a gift from God. It comes to you. It enters your life. You simply receive it. But God will give grace to those who are humble. You can't work on grace, but you can certainly work on humility. And for some of you, that's the encouragement you need. I need to walk with greater humility. I need to look to create a greater supply of fuel for the power of God to enter my life. For others of you, you might be really thinking through that idea of, of, of God giving grace to the humble. And maybe for you, you've never accepted Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never made him your savior never made him your Lord. Maybe you've never really seen your sin as an issue or a problem. But the Bible tells us that the wages of sin, the price that we pay for sin is death, separation from God. You see, until you accept Christ, the power of God can't enter your life. And so I want to tell you, would you humbly, can I beg you, would you humbly accept Christ as Savior and Lord? Would you allow him to come and wipe away your sin? All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible teaches us. So you're not immune to sin, but it takes humility to admit that I have a problem, that I have a need, that I'm actually not perfect, that I need something outside of myself to help me. It's going to take that level of humility for you to receive the grace of God that was purchased for you in the life of Christ as he laid down his life to rescue you. So would you humbly accept Christ today? Some of you have been waiting. You've been listening. You've heard a lot of these messages, but you haven't moved toward Jesus yet. Would you do that today? Can I beg you, choose humility and watch the grace of God flow into your life. None of us have to be perfect, but we all need to be forgiven. And the way that that happens is by us humbly saying, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I know you're standing at the door of my heart knocking. I'm gonna open it up today. Come and live in me. Forgive me and lead me now. Be my Savior and Lord. Friends, we need Jesus in our lives. And if you're making a decision today to accept Christ, just below me here on the screen, there's going to be a number that you can text, simply text the word LIFE, L-I-F-E, to the number that's coming up on the screen. And when you do that, that's your humble act of saying, I'm receiving Christ today. We want to connect with you. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. And so please, would you do that today? Would you accept Jesus? And as we wrap up this series, let's remember that there's always hope for us in suffering. 
And even through suffering, it reveals our need for humility that can lead us to greater grace. And so let's be, let's be ones who receive the great grace of Jesus as we walk in humility together today. God bless you. I love you so much. Thank you for watching today.